Praise God. Brother Bickley, praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Amen. Good honor to be with you this morning and give honor to Brother Joel and Sister Kate and all the leadership of the Mother Congregation here. Thank you for all that you do as a part of Antioch. Praise God. Amen. I was prepared to get up here this morning and say how wonderful it was to be in service with all of my family, but apparently my wife has gotten caught up in something somewhere, and um, normally we are scattered abroad on Sunday mornings, and so good to be with all four of my kids, although Timothy's now in Sunday school, but praise God. I... uh, I've I've heard numerous times throughout my life preachers who spent their life running from the call. And uh, I I can't take you to the time and the place where I felt like I was called to preach. It's just sort of something I always kind of felt. As a result of that, I've had lots of dreams and desires of what kind of preacher I would be and the content of my preaching and all of that. And I have tried to finally settle the fact that I normally don't get to do what I want to do and be what I want to be. Don't get scared now. I'm not here with something. My point is I'm afraid that I'm afraid that too many preachers today have become essentially nothing more than motivational speakers. Uh, I don't I don't think Jesus would have done too well with his own TV ministry. Most of what he taught was really not real popular and exciting. So I'm trying to be like him. My flesh doesn't want to, but... So I I really feel like I have something this morning for somebody. And I will tell you in advance, it's not what your flesh wants to hear. I I don't mean to be unkind and I realize I'm only here once or twice a year to minister because of my traveling around and my flesh wants to leave a great impression. But I, I leaned over to Brother Mott a few minutes ago and it's extremely sad when you stand in a church service and you look around and the majority, unfortunately the majority, seem to be absolutely, completely disconnected. I've watched some of you this morning. You've made absolutely no connection with God here today. I'm not not trying to be mean or unkind, but it's becomes nothing more than, you know, some kind of just natural event. If you, as an individual, do not attempt to make some kind of connection with God. And, 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 uh, There's a lot of places we go that the potential outcome of those places is very predictable. It's really, it's it's set. Amazing thing to me about coming to church is, if you're a true believer, then you believe there is absolutely no limit to what might happen that day. In addition to... There's no, there's no way of predicting the significance 
of what God might do in any particular service in your life. So we're not here for religion. And after I made that comment to Brother Mott, the thing I really sort of thought, felt is our responses or lack of response in church is a is an indicator of the condition of our relationship with God. I'm sorry, but there's no way to have a genuine relationship with God and walk into an apostolic church service and remain basically unconnected. Well, I'm not demonstrative, Brother Wright, and I'm not expressive. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If I walked up with you with a $100,000 check with your name on it this morning, every unexpressive person in this place would become quickly expressive. It's just a matter of what pushes your button to get you expressive. Everybody's expressive. So when I have a relationship with God, it's really almost impossible. Jeremiah said it. I think if I could use it in this context, it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. I just can't contain it. So I... Sorry, that's not that's not really a great way to start off, is it? But nevertheless. So 2 Corinthians 1. Read verse number 3 through 6 here. So, And I'll let you be seated and we'll read it from a couple of other translations. 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 3. Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in, in, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. And I'm not, I, that's not the part I'm preaching this morning. Because we got enough trouble just being willing to accept that He comforts us in our tribulation. Much less that He's comforting us in our tribulation so we can turn around and help somebody else. That you may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. There, uh, Jesus, you can't get on TV with that. Paul, you can't get on TV with that. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the God of consolation. The God of consolation. Father, thank you for your sweet presence that is in this place today, and thank you for what you've already done, lives you've already touched, ministered to in this service, and I pray now that through your word you would speak to us, you would minister to us, 
that you would touch somebody's heart today, God, that they would hear what they need to hear from you. may not be what our flesh is looking for as an answer, but our spirits recognize when we hear from you. And so I pray that somebody would hear a word from you today, that our hearts would be good ground for the seed of your word. I trust you this morning and depend on you today, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to read from the Amplified as well as from the Message Bible just to give you a little bit more flavor of what these verses are saying. The Amplified, verse number number 3 says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of sympathy, pity and mercy, and the God who is the source of every comfort, consolation and encouragement who comforts, consoles, and encourages us in every trouble, calamity, and affliction, so that we may also be able to comfort, console, and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress. With the comfort, consolation, and encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted, consoled, and encouraged by God. For just as Christ's own sufferings fail to our law, fall to our lot as the overflow upon His disciples, and we share and experience them abundantly, so through Christ, comfort, consolation, and encouragement is also shared and experienced abundantly by us. But if we are troubled, afflicted, and distressed, it is for your comfort, consolation, and encouragement, and for your salvation if we are comforted, consoled, and encouraged. It is for your comfort, consolation, and encouragement, which works in you when you patiently endure the same evils, misfortunes, and calamities that we also suffer and undergo. And then the Message Bible says these verses this way, All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. All healing. See, we just want God to heal. We don't want Him to give us healing counsel that will lead to healing. We just want God to wave His magic wand in the situations and circumstances of our lives and fix it all. But God's option most of the time is to give healing counsel, guidance that if followed will bring you to healing. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. He comes alongside us when we go through Hard time. Amazing we can get people to shout and dance and run the aisles over a promise of prosperity. But I tell you that in the midst of your trouble, God himself comes alongside. And I get one or two people saying, Amen. I'm I'm not in a bad mood this morning. I'm not. (laughs) Stay with me. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. When, not if. When, not if. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times. 
so we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Again, that's another, no, no, no. Let's just, let's just get down the part that he comes alongside. Don't put on me the responsibility that he comes alongside me to comfort me so that I can in turn turn around and comfort somebody else. Somebody needs to listen right now because you've been out. Why am I going through what I'm going through? I'm reading to you Paul's answer. We always ask why, but we don't really want the answer of why. Could it be this morning that circumstance... I'm not talking about the stuff you created. See, we lump everything in the same category. All the mess we create, we expect God to take care of that as well. And, And fortunately, most of the time, He does. But I'm telling, I'm talking about more so stuff right now that is beyond your control. That it wasn't something that happened as a result of your decisions. I can't go to the mall today and apply for 10 different credit cards at 10 different stores, max them out, and then come back next Sunday night praying for God because of the devil's fighting my finances. No. That's nothing to do with the devil. There's people dealing with sickness this morning and there's people dealing with family situations that are not, they're not a result of your decision and you ask why and I, again, I know it's not what you want to hear, but could it be that the actual reason why is, is because God has given you something that He needs to comfort you over so that you then can in turn help somebody else? We have plenty of hard times that come from that up there. I want you all to see that. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah. I know a lot of people don't like the Message Bible, and it's not the most reliable source for doctrine and all of that. But when it comes to practical stuff, I really like it. Because it just has a way of saying some things real plain. I've spent all service making up my mind. I wasn't going to care about your response. I was just going to preach what I felt God given me. And I thought I had it. I was ready to go. And it it ain't working. <laughs> it comes. See, some of y'all need to just accept. Or, 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 some of that, y'all, that's what you thought. Now, here's Bible for what you thought. I've got hard times that come from following the Messiah. Part of the reason hard times come from following the Messiah is because before I was following the Messiah, I did what I wanted, how I wanted, when I wanted, where I wanted. And so when there was ever an issue, I just found an answer. I found an escape from it. But now I've come to realize following the Messiah, there are hard times that come and I can't just run from in the, and avoid them because it's in those hard times that He is doing something of eternity value. Paul said it this way. Our light affliction, which is just for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at what is not seen because what is seen is temporal and what is not seen is eternal. 
There are situations in the lives of people here today that it would not matter what the circumstances of those situations were if rather than looking at the situations, you would start trying to find God's purpose in the situation and realize that there is something of eternal value that is going on through these circumstances. That's one of the reasons why you can't box life off into multiple categories. And whether consciously or subconsciously, we have a tendency to separate our spiritual life from our natural life. But you know what? When I realize from the biblical perspective, you can't separate then I can also have confidence that in day-to-day circumstances of life, God is in control and everything is working together for my good. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of His healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. No more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. We, we preach about Job. When Job gets talked or preached about, it's always about his trial and suffering. Job's trial and suffering was this really small portion of his whole life. That was a blessed life before the trial and was a doubly blessed life after the trial. When we suffer for Jesus, it works out for your healing and salvation. If we are treated well, given a helping hand and encouraging word, that also works to your benefit, spurring you on, faceward, unflinching. Your hard times are also our hard times. I came across this verse, and I've read it times before, but I came across this verse, this passage a couple of months ago now, as I, I use PC Study Bible for my Bible study, and when you open PC Study Bible, the, the home page, what comes up is Spurgeon's Daily Devotionals. And it was this verse, the God of consolation, that popped up. And I read the verse, and I read, which I intend to do here in a little while, what Spurgeon had to say, and and and, and it It's one of those things that just stuck. You see, here's the the struggle that we all have. The the strongest or one of the strongest, perhaps could be said, the strongest instinct that humans have is the survival instinct. I'm, I'm not a carpenter, but I've I've done a number of things in my lifetime. That required hammering nails. And I've had a few hurt fingers from hammering nails. But I got to tell you, it's one thing, even with the few times that I've done that, it's one thing for me to hold a nail with a hammer in my hand. That's one thing. But I just got to tell you, I'm not lining up to hold the nail for somebody else. 
I don't care how long you've worked construction and how many hundreds of thousands of nails you have nailed in. There is something in my, in my DNA, in my instincts that when you pull back, I'm pulling back. That's my survival instinct. My survival instinct says, you may be a very skilled carpenter, but what you're swinging and the potential of what could happen is not worth me continuing to trust you. I'm out of here. If, in fact, somewhere, let's say just in the, let's, let's say up here in the, in the, in the, in the music equipment, all of a sudden there was a, there was a fire, an electrical fire that broke out. And I don't mean just a, you know, a little flicker of a, of a flame, but I mean there was a fire. What would you immediately start to do? You see, there, there, there. What's the least path? What's, what path has the least resistance? I love all y'all. If you don't make it out, I'll see you on the other side. Because when we get into a, into a dangerous situation or an uncomfortable situation, we are immediately looking. Oh, I know y'all, I'm, I'm, this isn't real spiritual seeming, but stay with me. We are immediately looking for the way out. When something starts hurting in my body, I'm immediately looking for a way of to, to, to relieve the pain. That's the way we are wired. Nobody likes pain. If somebody is doing something to purposely hurt and injure themselves, you know something is going on that's not normal. Because it is, it is our instinct to avoid pain, to avoid discomfort. If I'm sitting in a chair and I've gotten in a position and I'm not, I'm starting to ache from being in the same position, there is no reason for me to continue to sit in that same position. I'm finding a different way to sit. But the problem is this. We use that when it comes to lot, to the circumstances of our life and our walk with God as well. And so when we get into trouble, the first thing we are looking for is, how do I get out? We can't come, we can't wait to get to church on Sunday morning for Brother Bickley or Pastor Joel or somebody else to get up and invite us to come pray, because I'm coming to pray and see if God will give me a way out. When in fact it could very well be that God put you there and He's got you there for a season and rather than looking for the way out, you're supposed to be looking for the balance of the trouble and that is God's consolation and God's comfort. Y'all don't run me over now running the aisles. That's our first, okay, God, get me out of here. Get me out of this trouble. Get me out of this situation. When in fact, God is saying, I'm going to allow some difficulties and some trouble. Because when I allow that, I also can then manifest myself in a more significant and greater and more real and personal way. 
our, one of the last things we're wanting to know in the midst of tribulation is, okay, God, what are you trying to do here? And then here's our other problem. We judge our circumstances or, or we, we determine our circumstances are a result of our behavior, good or bad. I got to tell you, and I was thinking about it on the way to church this morning, the number of times your negative circumstances, or the number of times anybody's negative circumstances are a direct result of God's displeasure with you is so small. Can God use adversity and trouble and dicti- and, and uh, can God as a good father, a good parent, inflict some pain from time to time? Absolutely. But the majority of what we deal with is not God's punishment. Hallelujah. Well, that's a little more exciting. You ought to... Because what is our first question usually when God... Well, there, well there's probably... Two, I got a feeling you might say the one that's not the one I'm looking for, but what's one of the primary, and put it that way, primary questions we ask when something goes, thank you, there we go, we got it. Why is one, but the other one is, what did I do wrong? Job asked that question, in essence. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And again, the disclaimer is we do stuff wrong and we get consequences. What did I do wrong? Isn't it amazing? Here's what really I always try to remind myself of this. It's amazing when stuff goes wrong, we ask the question, what did I do wrong? But how many of you can honestly say you've ever asked the question when things were going really good? Well, what did I do? I must be doing something right. No, because we right, good is all just expected. Bad must be an indicator. Your sickness more than likely is no more a punishment from God than it would be if you walk in tomorrow and your boss says, I'm doubling your salary, is an approval from God. We only think of it one side. God saying through the Apostle Paul, I'm not putting you through trouble and tribulation because I'm mad or angry, but that's the way in which I can most effectively manifest myself and make myself real to you. The majority of you here today did not come to church the first time because life was absolutely wonderful and perfect. Few people, few people, Start their walk with God when life is absolutely wonderful. Few people. Most of us are on the way down. And then a good portion of those were no longer on the way down. You had done hit bottom. And all there was was up. But as, as, as believers and, and, and even as those of you, maybe you haven't really committed your life to God yet, 
to somehow understand that God's allowing of tribulation and trouble in my life is intended to be God's way of then being able to manifest more effectively who he is and what he is and drawing even closer to me. But that, that's not why we're here today. It's not why thousands of people are walking into a church this morning to find God in the midst of their trouble. Walking in because they want to get out of it. He's saying in your, in your trouble and your affliction, what you're missing is that there is a whole nother side to it. And the side is that I am balancing out what you're, what is negative on this side with, with not only good, but ultimately I'm balancing it out on this side with me. If you study those words, comfort and consolation, you can find that in the root of those words is essentially the same word where Jesus talks about the comforter will come. He will come alongside of you. you remember as my kids were small and especially my boys, they could, you could put a bat in their hands, two and three years old and you could toss them a baseball to hit. What they didn't understand at that age was most of the time the reason they hit the ball is because I hit the bat. Because you started to get to, you would tell them to swing, and I could get, typically get the timing down enough that if they would start swinging when I say swing, I could, I could, I could hit the bat. They weren't hitting the ball. And every now and then they would make a connection. But then what I could do is, I could let somebody else pitch. And I could come alongside. And I could stand behind them. And I could grab their arms and help them hold the bat. And somebody else would start to pitch the ball. I'm no longer hitting the bat with the ball. I'm not hitting the ball with the bat. Interesting thing about that was in their minds, they missed the fact that it's dad's ability. It's dad's experience that's actually doing this. And they now think I'm doing this on my own. So it is with us. And I walk with God. Sometimes God just lets the timing be right that he hits the bat and we think we got one. What he's interested in us doing is recognizing that I am in trouble. I'm in tribulation. And God, rather than me trying to find a way out of this, I just want you to come alongside me. I want you to be nearby me. And whether we get out of it or not, at least if we are in it together, the psalmist said this, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. Or if I could rephrase it this way, he is a present help in trouble. In trouble. So the thing we often try to avoid is actually the means by which God is trying to most effectively and most in a real way demonstrate who he is and what he is to us. I want to give you, I want to give you a balance.
I don't want to just take you out of what you're in, but I want to bring a balance, and the balance is my consolation, and it's my strength, and it's my comfort. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he was a pastor in England in the 1800s, very well known in the religious ranks for his ministry. He says this in his devotional, There is a blessed proportion. The ruler of providence bears a pair of scales. In this side, he puts his people's trials. And in that, he puts their consolations. When the scale of trial is nearly empty, you will always find the scale of consolation in nearly the same condition. Meaning, when there is little trial in your life, what you will also find is there probably is little God. And when the scale of trials is full, you will find the scale of consolation just as heavy. When the black clouds gather most, the light is the more brightly revealed to us. When the night lowers and the tempest is coming on, the heavenly captive is always closest to his crew. It is a blessed thing that when we are most cast down, then it is that we are most lifted up by the consolations of the Spirit. One reason is... Because trials make more room for consolation. And so some this morning say, I'm good without consolation. Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. I love reading stuff like this and not being the originator saying it. Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. I, my wife and I were, were basically high school sweethearts. Started dating in, in, in high school and going together, whatever you want to call it. And except for the time or two she broke up with me and broke my heart that it quickly mended and I was just waiting for her to come back to me. <laughs> I, I mean... Yeah, so, so we, you know, we, we were, I mean, we, we were developing a relationship since high school, and I, man, we were, we were in love. <laughs> but the amazing thing was, every time we saw each other, everything was perfect. She was all, you know, hair all done. And, Clothes all neatly on, and I was all, you know, clothes on, hair fixed right, and trying to put clothes that looked good that she would like, and all, you know, breath smelled good. Every decision would took two hours to make because it was all about deferring to the other. I don't even know how we ever finally made a decision because nobody wanted to make a decision that the other wouldn't like, and but we, oh, we were so in love. Huh. 
we obviously had some kind of a relationship because we got married and last Saturday was 23 years, so we, we had something to start with. But I got to tell you, thank you, been married over half my life. That's scary. Of course, when you get married at 20, it doesn't take long to do that, does it? I got to tell you, we really do love each other now. I know we do. I know we do because we've now been through those times where we make the decisions that we want and don't care what anybody else thinks. We've dealt with each other's morning breath and bad days. and See, I've come to learn, as any of you can, whether it's marriage or just friendship, the strength of the relationship has not come from all the good times. Your relationships were not strengthened by all the wonderful days when everything was just heavenly bliss. The strength of your relationship has come from those days in which you didn't want to speak to each other. And, you know, the scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Well, there's a solution to that. You stay awake long enough till the sun starts to come up. <laughs> then just go to sleep. Because at least you didn't let it go down on your wrath, but it's coming up on your wrath. I know I've said this before, and forgive me for saying it again, and I know all you married couples will be praying for us and our struggles and our weaknesses, but i I got to tell you, I thought, I thought a long time ago we'd be done with looking at a clock at 2 and 3 and 4, once or twice, 5 in the morning, as we laid there in silence. It amazes me how, you know, I, I am, if you, most of you know, if you don't know, if you're a guest today, don't know me, I am... Considered to be a very quiet person. Obviously, you can't judge that by this present moment. But outside of the pulpit, I am very quiet. And um, my wife just said it again the other day. One of the real reasons she likes to hear me preach is because that's when she learns the most about me. So um, I've had kids, my kids come home and say, wow, we never knew that. We never heard that story before. Well, I'm sorry about that. But, <laughs> but it's amazing to me, and it, fr- it really it frustrates me. How that I can be a very quiet person and yet she knows when something's wrong. I'm like, I'm no more quiet than I normally am. And yet somehow you recognize something's wrong. And it's, it's amazing. We, most of us have gifts. We don't may know they, we got the gifts of the Spirit. We got gifts. Has there been times, Brother Whaley, I've laid down, we've turned the light out, we've given a peck on the cheek, good night, laid there, and, and, and my gut was just telling me, oh, my goodness, something ain't right. Oh, Jesus. See, I, I, have this, I have this condition that I've dealt with for most of my life, and that is when I lay down, I go to sleep. Lay down and go to sleep. That's you give me five minutes of being still and I'm out. She's still not in here, right? I'm gonna trust she won't watch this service. 
Man, I, I can't tell you at times the mental gymnastics I played on my side of the best bed because I got to stay awake. Oh, my goodness. Were you snoring? No, I was clearing my throat. I was <laughs> Are you awake? Y- yeah. And then in my mind, I would add, I am now, so I wasn't lying. <laughs> you ever get that question? I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to finally just relax. I know I'm, I'll quit here in a moment, but I love that question when somebody calls you at 7.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock, and what's their first question? Six, did I wake you up? I normally say no, even if I was asleep, because I don't want them to feel bad. And here's how I justify it, and this probably is, but I justify it. I get you didn't wake me up. The phone did. <laughs> but it's six in the morning. Most people are, you know, typically sleeping about now. Or at least would like to be. I know we got a few of you early morning risers. God bless you. We'll do good as a, as a, um, a relay team. You get the early shift. I'll take the next shift after you're done. But it, it's been those, and, and, and I got, man, I, I'm telling you what, I, I'm, and actually we're, things are going very well right now, just so you know. I don't want you getting some big impression my wife and I are having. We just got through all of those. <laughs> right now it's going really good. I thought by now, I thought I always love when I say something like this, and I see people that have been married a lot longer than I have with this this smirk on their face. <laughs> I thought by now everything would be just smooth sailing. I mean, we got, we got how I like my eggs worked out and how you like this done worked out. I've learned to put the toilet seat down. We're good. I know how to put the paper on the, on the toilet paper so that you pull it off the top and it doesn't come out. We got all that settled. Surely we're good now. I do want to start a crusade. Why has it somehow become man's responsibility to put the seat down? You left the seat up. No, you left it down. (laughs) Sorry. Well, we have lost it this morning, haven't we? But you see, I, I thought we got all those simple things, and I thought that was it. Brother Joel, and that stuff was really easy to get through. It's all this stuff that now has gotten down into the real fabric of who and what we are. So it is in our walk with God. Well, we get the Holy Ghost. Boy, woo, it's the greatest thing. Little bumps in the roads here and there, and but then God starts to dig because great hearts can only be made by great troubles there's a lot of people that started out fast in this christian journey and we're all excited until a little bit of trouble came what happens is you've got to learn how to make it through the trouble and you've got to also learn that Rather than starting to look for the way out of my trouble and my adversity, what i got to start doing is looking for God in my trouble. Because the greater my trouble, the greater the manifestation of God is intended to be in my life. But if all I do is focus on my trouble, there's a good chance I'm missing God. 
The spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deep. So I tell you what, God, let's just leave it shallow. I don't want a deep reservoir of comfort. I'm good with the wading end of the pool. And makes more room for consolation. God comes into our heart. He finds it full. He begins to break our comforts and to make it empty. Then there is more room for grace. The humbler a man lies, the more comfort he will always have because he will be more fitted to receive it. Another reason why we are often most happy in our troubles is this. Then we have the closest dealings with God. When the barn is full, man can live without God. When the purse is bursting with gold, we try to do without so much prayer. But once take our gourds away and we want our God, once cleanse the idols of our, of the, out of the house, when we are compelled to honor Jehovah, then we are compelled. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, there is no cry so good as what comes from the bottom of the mountains. No prayer half so hearty as that which comes up from the depths of the soul through deep trials and afflictions. Hence, they bring us to God and we are happier for nearness to God is happiness. Come, troubled believer, fret not over your heavy troubles, for they are the heralds of weighty mercies. See, we, we've got, does the devil fight us? Absolutely. Do we, are we in spiritual warfare? Absolutely. But that has become such a common excuse or answer or, 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 or explanation for everything we go through. It's the devil fighting you because he knows you're about to step into your destiny. And so, and that, that's, that's not usually the case in my opinion. That's giving the devil way too much credit. There's a lot of stuff that's going on because God has allowed it and God has allowed it because there is something He is desiring to reveal to me about Himself. What I've got to learn is, okay God, rather than looking you at the source of getting me out of my trouble, I will start to look at you as the source of consolation in my trouble and recognize the fact that it's in my trouble that I get to know you the best. Most of you know the poem, heard the poem at least, of the poem, Footprints. There's an interesting thing to me about that poem. It's not scripture, but it's a great poem. The author says I, I, that there were two sets of footprints in the sand. Until trouble came. And when trouble came... There was only one set of footprints. And here's what's so interesting. What, what does the writer of the poem then say? Where did you go? When everything was fine, there's two sets of footprints and you're with me. But when things go wrong, you abandon me. And now there's only one set of footprints. Of course, the rest of the poem is, look at those footprints. <laughs> that footprint is a little bit bigger than your foot. 
here, here's the thing that hit me a couple of years ago in that poem, and I feel like it's so true in our lives. The, the effectiveness of the one doing the carrying was such. The one being carried didn't even really know they were even being carried. See, uh, uh, from the context of what the poem is saying, it's like what we say, God, where did you go? I'm in this by myself. You abandoned me. You've forsaken me. Not understanding that I'm not even walking. I, I love the experience of feeling the presence of God. It's a great experience. Do you ever notice where we usually feel God the most? Where's the time you would typically say you feel God the most? Situations like this or times when we gather together, right? You know. Can I ask you a question? How many of you sitting here at this moment right now, you really need to feel God? I don't, I don't mean want, but need, I mean you absolutely need. Oh, we're sitting, we're in church, you know, we're amongst believers and we're worshiping together. We, you know, it's all together. We, and yet that's where, you know, you see people having one of those Holy Ghost fits, man. Shaking and fucking and snorting and kicking and woo, the power of God is all over them. I have never, Brother Evans, I have never been to a funeral or awake, um, what are you, viewing. I've never been to a viewing of any believer where family members were standing around the casket in the viewing, standing there, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Woo! Never seen that. I've never seen it. I've, I've, I've never been there, but I would imagine nobody's ever sat in the doctor's office when he walked up and said, I'm sorry, we got the results back, and it, it is cancer, it is that. And I mean, you just stood up and had a Holy Ghost hoedown in that office. My God, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. See, I've come to this conclusion. The more the more recognizable the manifestation and the presence of God is, is typically in those times we're really not that much in need of it. And the times when it really is more near to us and more effective is those times we need it, but we tend to miss it. Because we have a tendency to measure the presence of God by external actions and responses. Brother Libby asked me this question, my wife and I, a couple years ago. Where does God go? Where can God go? How many of you ever wondered or thought, Sister Trish, why don't you come and start playing and at least they'll, we'll all have some hope here that I'll quit my ramblings. Anybody ever asked the question, God, where are you? Come on, be honest. Either, either thought it or asked out loud. Yeah, where are you? Come on. Rest of you are asleep because you thought at some point. God, where are you? You know, where 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 can God go? 
Where are you, God? I'm looking for you, God. Where are you? We got this saying in our house. I'm sure we're probably not the only house. Look for it like your life depended on it. It's beyond count the number of times somebody was sent to look for something and returns and says, I can't find it. Only for the one who actually, for the one who told him to go, to go look, and then it's right there. Where are you, God? Right here. Because when you fill all space, how do you go anywhere? When you fill all space. But again, our, our question of God, where are you, is based on an emotion or a lack of emotion. A feeling or a lack of feeling. So Paul says, uh, in, your con- in your trouble, in your tribulation, God comes along with consolation. And, 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 and I'm, I'm here telling somebody today, you're missing how near God is. You're missing how near God is because you're so focused on, God, get me out of this. God, fix this. God, change that. When God in His grace and mercy has allowed some things so that in a way like never before he can manifest himself to you i'm not talking about a nice little feeling and a nice little excitement and and a a little emotion that fades away by the time we get to the car that's not what i'm talking about but i'm i'm talking about something that you know is deep and something that you know is it's going to be lasting and 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 i mean you know back to the whole dating thing man there were days where i was all excited of course as a guy you know i held it in i didn't show it as much as you know because that's what we guys do right but but there was excitement and there have been a lot of non-excited days in 23 years. There have been a lot of days I, wasn't, I didn't have all those butterflies in my stomach of how in love I was. But there was something down deep. How many times, if no offense teenagers, I'm not, I know a bunch of them were downstairs, but how many times have young people been in love, I mean in love, in love, in love until the next girl came along who was a little better looking than this girl until the next guy came along that was a little more handsome than this guy and all of a sudden love has now transferred my wife has gotten more beautiful through the years more attractive and I can't say that about this half of the relationship. Fortunately, she feels that way, but I think she's eyesight is fading. And I see guys walk along beside. I see I pass by guys today, and I am extremely thankful that my wife's commitment to me is not based on my physique, how big my muscles are, and the color of my hair. Because there's something deeper. See, the only way to get beyond that initial exposure to God to the point there is a lasting commitment is there's got to be some tribulation. There's got to be some adversity. There's got to be some trouble. But it's not a punishment. Job said this, my favorite verse in the Bible. Job chapter 42, I think it is, verse 5. He said, I heard of you. I heard of you with my ear 
I've had people tell me about you, God. I was, I'm blessed to be born and raised in this church. Not just church, but this church. And my parents are the pastors, founding pastors, and grew up in a godly home. I've got all four of my grandparents were preachers and committed Christians and dedicated to the kingdom of God. And, and, and I've grown up around that. I've heard a whole lot about God all my life. And I'm not here at 43 because of what I heard. See, it's got to start as hearing because faith comes by hearing. But faith doesn't last simply by hearing. Or let me put it this way. Faith is not built by hearing alone in this context. <laughs> faith is built by experience. Faith is built now by the prayers that I have prayed that God has answered and the encounters that I have had with God, that it's no longer just about what somebody else has told me, but it's what I've seen. I'm preaching to some people this morning. I know it's, it, this isn't climb the walls and bounce around, whatever fun stuff. I'm preaching to some people this morning that you are so desperately trying to get out of your tribulation. And the problem is God has got you there because He's so desperately wanting to reveal Himself to you in a way like never before. Some of you came this morning and perhaps really the primary reason you came was maybe this will be the day God fixes it. Maybe this will be the day God changes it. What if in fact what God brought you here this morning was you got some, you got some trials and trouble on this side of the scales and so rather than God relieving all of that from your life, He's He brought you here today because He wants to put on the other side to balance all of that out, some consolation and some comfort. Let me read these verses and I'll quit. Proverbs 30 and verse 7, Solomon says this, Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. So what Solomon is saying is, don't let me be so wealthy and rich and need nothing, and then, but don't let me be so poor that I don't have enough. Why? Because if I'm on this side and I've got so many riches and everything is good, I will be full and deny you. If I'm on the other end of it, though, I might become so poor and steal and take your name in vain. You know what God has blessed most of us here today with? Mediocrity. He's blessed us with mediocrity. Because we're kind of in the middle. Maybe a little bit fluctuations in there, but unless you're hiding very well, there's nobody here today that is a billionaire that has absolutely no concern, want, need. But neither are those that are, have nothing and are totally destitute and doing without. We're right there in the middle. We're right there in the place where God can consistently demonstrate to us His power, 
His ability, His faithfulness. Close your eyes, if you would, where you are right now. I don't say this lightly, half-heartedly, facetiously. I'd love to be the preacher to come here today and promise you that everything in your life is about to change and problems are about to go away. Sickness is about to leave and finances are about to be great and wonderful and my flesh would love to be able to tell you all of that, promise you all of that. Unfortunately, from a fleshly perspective, that's not what God sent me to tell you today. But I do believe, not based on emotion or feeling, but I do believe I've come with a word from God for somebody today. Not because of the emotion and the hype, but because of what your spirit is hearing, recognizing that God is talking to you, would you begin to talk to Him right now? I think somebody in this place this morning needs to talk to God and say, okay, God, let me, let me, let me change what I've been asking you for, what I've been asking you to do. And so rather than my, all of my requests and my persistent attempting to get you to do what I want you to do, how I want you to do, God, uh, I, I'm going to accept that in the midst of this tribulation and trials that on the other side you are coming to balance the scales. You're coming with consolation and comfort. So that even if the tribulation doesn't stop, even if the problems don't go away, if the pain continues, what I'm going to find in the midst of that is you are there in a way closer and more real than ever before. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I ask you, you're the Father of mercies. You are the God of consolation. God, you know who in this place today has come with a scale that perhaps to this point has been weighted down with the trials, the tribulation, but what you are desperately wanting to do is bring consolation. Maybe not bring an escape, maybe not bring a way out, but bring consolation, bring peace, bring comfort, bring a depth to a relationship with you like it's never been there before. In the name of Jesus, 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 I'd like to go just a step further and open this altar. If you want to stay where you are, so be it. But open this altar perhaps to somebody this morning that would acknowledge God is trying to talk to you today and, 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 and you're willing to accept and hear what it is He's saying. It may not be what flesh is wanting to hear it's not the answer your your flesh is looking for but it's there's something in your spirit that if you just pause long enough to really listen there's something in your spirit that's saying yes there's something in your spirit that's saying that's what i want because while flesh is more in, interested than in, in ease and comfort and flesh is more interested in finding a way to get out from under the pain the spirit is more interested in finding a way to connect with God like never before the spirit is more interested about getting that consolation because it's not just sympathy it's not just pity in the context of what we know it today but that consolation is it's a connection with God like never before before.
the name of Jesus. Maybe somebody this morning, you've really been questioning, God, where are you? God, where are you? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm dealing with? Where are you, God? But that question has been based on the fact there there's not those feelings we attribute God's presence to. There's, there's not those sensations we are used to when we say that we feel God. But what you can recognize somehow today is, in spite of a lack of an outward emotional sensation, there is an assurance in my heart, God, you're there. God, you're with me. You're carrying me, even if I haven't been aware of it. Even if I haven't felt it, God, you are actually been carrying me. You haven't abandoned me and left me in my trouble, but you have met me in my trouble. You haven't forsaken me, God, but you have met me in my trouble. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you don't need to come for yourself, can I get a few of you that would come and help pray with somebody that has come, join together. Let God use you right now as a conduit of His consolation this morning. If you want to go, need to go, you can do that. But I believe the presence of the Lord is in this place. Again, it's not based on external, outward hype and emotion, but The Spirit of God is in this place this morning and He's come to balance out some lives today. He's come to put some consolation on the scale of your life to balance out the trials and tribulation and trouble. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, it may not be what my flesh wants today may not be what my flesh is looking for, but my spirit is hungry for your consolation. My spirit is hungry for the comfort that comes from your spirit. My spirit is desperate for the assurance that comes from you, God, that is independent of my circumstances. It's separate from what I'm dealing with, God. It's a it's a consolation that is stronger than all of that. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Minister consolation to somebody today, God. Bring consolation to somebody's life today. Whether the trouble leaves or not, whether the tribulation goes away or not, let consolation be imparted, that it be poured out today, God. In the name of Jesus, help me to lay aside my instinct of simply looking for an escape and a way out and start looking for you, God, in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my difficulty. Start looking for you and what you're trying to do in my situation rather than just looking for you to get me out of my situation. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all 
trust you today. It may be difficult on my flesh, but my spirit trusts you. My human intellect doesn't understand. My human intellect doesn't like it, but my spirit is going to rely on, cling to, trust in you, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. My flesh is looking more for comfort and convenience, but my spirit is looking for a deeper connection with you. My spirit is looking for a deeper relationship with you. My flesh just wants a way out, but my spirit is hungry, God. My inner man is desperate to connect with you in a greater way in spite of my circumstances, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 trust in you Lord I trust in you Lord I trust in you Lord in the name of Jesus I trust you today God that you're going to take me through the valley of the shadow of death you're not going to simply choose for me to avoid the valley you're not going to simply allow me to skip the valley, but you're going to take me right through the valley of the shadow of death. But the promise is you're going to take me through it. And the promise is you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. You'll be there. You'll be there every step of the way. When I can't go on anymore, you'll carry me. When I can't take another step, you'll be there to uphold me, God. Trust in the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Again, if you need to go, want to go, you're welcome to go. If you're still praying, please feel the liberty to continue to do that.